This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome, everybody, to an episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am your host, Swatha Nanda Kumar, and... Yeah, this is just me today. So thanks to everyone listening by your favorite podcast player or on ACB Media. And as always, if, if you want to learn more about ACB, you can go to acb.org. So today's so today we have our two our two reelected board members, um, Connie Sims and Jeff Tom. And just we're gonna take Take today to talk to talk to them, get to know them, and hear more about their work and um, uh, this term. So, hey guys, how are you? Hey, hey, we're good. Great. So, I'm sure our members know know about, know you already, and you've been on the member for ACB, ACB um, for a while. But um, you guys just briefly go through go through go through history with ACB. We start with Jeff. Okay, so yeah, I have been a local chapter president. I have been a president of my state affiliate, California, which is where I'm from, Sacramento. Um, I have been uh, also just uh, I'm now past president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Law, so I've been a special interest affiliate. And I was briefly president of the of the um, American Association of Vision Impaired Attorneys. So I've I've had a lot of um, experiences in different affiliates. Uh, I was first vice president uh, for a couple terms of of ACB, and now I am starting my final board term, um, and I'm you know at the point where I am pleased to be having this last term and then I will, you know, fade to black and be happy to be replaced by someone else. <laughs> so Jeff, why did you originally run for the board and what made you run again? So really, um, it's hard for me to remember specifically why, but I think I felt I had a lot to offer as a state president. I, my passion is advocacy. And, you know, I felt that being on the board would help me um, to uh, have a leadership position uh, in the organization. And so uh, I think that's what impelled me to run in the first place. Great. Um, so, Connie, you want to talk about you? Would you know him as Yeah. So, um I am currently the president of the South Dakota Association of the Blind. In my final term, I'll be done here in end of October. So, but I've also been a board member with SDAB. I have been um, local chapter president, vice president, um, treasurer. I was kind of an acting treasurer for our state chapter. I. Let's see, I started with ACB back in 84 as a student representative. So um, that was my first taste as a student. So um, it was kind of the, the 
issues that I've, I guess the chapters or the affiliates, I haven't been involved in a whole lot of special interest ones like Jeff has, which is great. I am a member of the um, Citizens with Low Visions. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of my history is how I got started as a student. So I got to represent South Dakota back, how things have changed back then. Nice. Um, why did you run for the board and what would you run again? Like why did you decide originally to run? Yeah. So, yeah. So um, last year when I, I finished off the one term um, for Katie, Frederick, I, I was encouraged by um, some leaders. So I had thought about it um, when I, won the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellowship in 2020. Um, that was one of the questions. And I, I had I remember stating to Kenneth and um, a couple other people that someday I would love to be on the board. Um, so it was something that I've always kind of loved to do. Advocacy has always been my, my passion. And then when I thought about it, I thought about um, how I got involved with in 84, the person who really encouraged me was um, Del, or some people knew him as Delbert Almond. He was one of the first um, members of ACB. He was, actually worked with Dorit K. McDaniel, um, and he actually wrote the original constitution, but he was my mentor. He was my counselor for the service of the blind and visually impaired. And I always looked up to him, and I thought about how he served on the board back in the 60s, and it, it, I, I thought about him, and he... I, I knew that he would be proud and it just encouraged me to think about what he all done. And from South Dakota, we don't usually have a lot of representation. So I thought that would be a, a nice area from someone who comes from a, a smaller state, rural area to be on the board. Yep, absolutely. Um, so what do you both like, what do you both wanna work on in your new terms as members of the board? Jeff first. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a number of things that uh, I think are important uh, right now. And really, the reason I, I was seriously thinking of not running for a final term, because I really do embrace the idea of, you know, younger and, and new leadership, young or old, but new leadership that will have new ideas that will be able to embrace change um, even more readily than myself, although I've always tried to really be open to change. Um, but I, I felt that um, we were at, at a crossroads in many ways. We are emerging, hopefully, from the pandemic. We have changed in terms of our um our conventions, our voting, uh, our, our ACB community. Um, it's kind of interesting. We uh, are becoming more and more of a staff-driven organization, and that has to be that way because volunteers just don't have the expertise to run a 21st century nonprofit the way you know staff are, are able to do that. But at the same time, the ACB community has given members a, uh, a stake in the organization, the likes of which we've never had before. And so 
um, I think it's very going to be very important that we navigate um, the sort of dynamic between being um, staff-driven in a lot of what we do and a very active uh, membership that, that feels like they have a, a real important part to play in this organization because they indeed have played an incredibly important part um, since the beginning of the pandemic. So um, we've also, um, I think, increased our uh, position in as an advocacy organization over the last few years. Um, you know, I think there was a time when we were clearly the other organization and people would listen to us and we were very active and a lot of us went on the hill after, year after year after year. But I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, we were second best. I think now we are, you know, essentially at least on an equal footing with, with uh, our brothers and sisters in NFB. And um, we make just as much noise and create uh, just as many advocacy uh, uh, advocacy openings and as they do. And I think we can be proud of that. Um, and we need to keep um, our level of advocacy uh, where it is right now. And I think I, I was I was reluctant to leave the board until that was on a more firm footing you know, as we leave the COVID. So I think those are the two main reasons, um, you know, ensuring that our members were, were going to have the, uh, be given the importance that they deserve and, and continuing our advocacy. Those are my two main goals for my last term. Yeah, that's, that's great to like, hear about his history cb um i i mean i of course knew about the history like within fb i never heard like i never kind of never kind of like kind of figured how acb has risen throughout the years to be this first rate organ a blind, blind, blind organization or this like just this like has this influence so it's great to hear that like we can grow and we need to continue to grow and yeah, just comparing it to having a past. Um, Connie, you want to jump in? Sure. Um, you know, what Jeff said is a lot of how I feel, too. I mean, the, um, I love to see how I've loved seeing how ACB is growing, you know, um, in their advocacy. And I totally agree with him. Um, so, you know, the I would say, you know, being getting done with my path, being president of SCAB, I, I feel like I'm going to be able to hopefully spend more time, hopefully engaging our members. Um, hopefully, I know we, our members are involved, but hopefully we can get more members involved because, again, we need those volunteers. I, I believe that everyone has abilities um, and everyone has strengths. So in the advocacy, I, I just believe that you know, we, we got the get up and get moving going. Um, it was great to have Nike um, and Walmart at the convention. I just, I feel like 
we can make a lot of a lot of noise. And I think that we're making progress. There's so much more that we can do. Um, and as Jeff said, advocacy has always been my passion. I mean, that's something that my parents taught me when I was little that you, you have to stand up for yourself because otherwise people won't stand, do it for you. But at the same time, ACB is a family. So we have to work together. And I think we do work together. So that's kind of what I want to accomplish too, is allow what Jeff said is basically um, I want to accomplish the, the members and the staff is so important because they do so much for us and we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for the staff right now um, because we don't have the volunteers and the staff is a wonderful group and we need to keep growing. And as long as we keep growing, we're, we're going to have to have the staff members also. So I just, I think just to continue what we've been doing and keep improving and working towards the ACB mission. Before yeah. I, before we leave advocacy, I just wanted to say, I think that perhaps our biggest concern in the area of membership right now uh, is that of the loss of members for, from our state affiliates. It's been tough on state and local chapters um, during the pandemic. And, you know, we need to, you know, use every advantage and the community is certainly a major one. We need to use these advantages that we have created for ourselves. Our fundraising is another one, our get up and get moving campaign. We somehow need to leverage all of these things to try and help our state and local chapters grow because ultimately they are the backbone of this organization and um, we cannot afford to continue to have them diminish in size even though i am pleased to say as a special interest affiliate past president that the special interest affiliates have been doing for the most part very well during this you know last couple of pandemic years. But um, although a lot of the work must happen at the state and local level itself, we need to put a priority, I think, um, in ACB on helping our state affiliates as much as we can. Yeah, and I'll follow, I, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, would, I, would just gonna say I totally agree, because that's where we're, I think we're lacking. Yeah, I'll follow, I'll follow, follow up on that. Um, you mentioned lever, lever, leveraging, leveraging, the, leveraging the community and leveraging our um, influence and advocacy to gain more members. How else do you think we can grow our state affiliates? Because they are, like you said, the backbone and the um, the first place people go to learn, to learn about ACB. So. Go well, oh, go ahead, Connie. I'll let, no, be happy to no, let you take this one. No, that. I, I that was Swatha, so I'll let you start. Oh. So you know, there are certainly things we can do. At at the very least, we can, you know, make it clear to on you know, differing community calls that you know, if individuals want to send an email to you know Cindy and Colby and ask that they be linked up to the state presidents, we would love to have that happen, um, you know, we can, you know, 
we can maybe, you know, provide more opportunities uh, for, you know, state affiliates to, you know, have calls that would be geared to people in their states. I know they can do that now if they want to, but perhaps we need to sort of, you know, impress upon them that, you know, there, there, we can make some openings for that to happen. Um, you know, we just need to um, try to do a better job of linking people up. And I know, you know, you know, this has been a priority for Cindy from the very beginning of the time she was hired. So it's not like we haven't wanted to do this, but clearly we need to do more because um, it, we haven't been succeeding to the degree that we need to. So uh, I'm open to others who have great ideas to make this happen because whatever it takes. I also think we need to, and this is something that we had talked about a few years ago before the pandemic, and it's sort of fallen through the cracks now. We need to try and, uh, again, put some staff time and, and volunteer time into potentially finding tangible benefits we can give to ACB members, like, you know, people have subject, su suggested, um, you know, chain store discounts or, or similar things, you know, uh, discounts at other, at restaurants, whatever. Um, but, but things that people can actually, you know, taste or, 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 you know, use uh, that, that save them some money and that they can really say, Hey, this is what ACV does for me. I know we do a lot for our members. We advocate for them. We, we have all, we have, you know, the, the ACV community that, that if you can't find something you like in the community, you know, I don't, you must be living under a rock. But despite all that, I think tangible benefits like those are, are a real help and, and they do interest people in joining. So I think we ought to look into that some more. So I think I've talked long enough. Let's hear from Connie here. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, the tangible thing is, you know, we've talked about and that's been in the past. And I, I still think, you know, I think about the other organizations or the companies I've worked for. And that's always a huge draw for people it seems like um so I, I think if we could offer something like that in the future you know i think that you know our at-large membership is is growing so more people are leaving and it would be interesting if you know cindy like jeff said this has always been cindy's mission and i think that's great that maybe we try to reach out to the at-large members and just find out um, I don't know if the posse is still around. If we, you know, find out why they don't want to be a member to a state affiliate or even a special interest. But if there's a certain reason that maybe they left a state or for a special interest and they want to be at large, which is fine. But I think it would be interesting to see if we could get some answers and maybe that would help us understand um, why people don't want to be part of a state affiliate. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard because there's so so hard to reach the people and and convince them of the benefits of it. But I I think what Jeff said is a lot of good stuff. I think you know the community, the outreach. You know, I know that I have actually you know talked to people that even aren't 
interested in maybe South Dakota or the state affiliate, but they want to be there. They were interested in maybe a special interest, which I think is great. But I hopefully, you know, I think that a lot of the special interest affiliates are hopefully, and I think they are going back and trying to get them more involved with the state too. So, yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Like, remember and get a discount at all years like that. would be cool. Yeah. You know, or like Verizon, you know, I, you know, I still, I shouldn't even say this, but you know, it's like I'm Verizon, you get a discount. And one of the employers that I worked for, you know, um, as long as you're still considered, you know, one time I'm not there anymore, but they said, oh yeah, you know, as long as you still can have it, as long as you don't tell us that you're not, because we're not going to come check on you. So I still get a, a, a discount from that employer. So it's a nice little discount. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. So I know I shouldn't say that, but you know, it's, it's a nice benefit. So. so when you worked for the state of California and, and many of you will know of this company, when I mention it, um, you got a discount for C's candy. And I'll tell you, I use that discount a, a lot over the years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's what I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so since you mentioned advocacy, I want to jump into later into the agenda. Um, are there issues besides like growing our membership that you think ACB could focus on or that could, we could like, you could like work on the next term? But, like you think ACB, ACB could, could, could devote more time to that you think you could work on, that you want to work on? Connie, you want to go first this time? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really see, you know, I'm, I was thinking when I was thinking about this question and stuff, I, you know, one of the things, I don't know if it's anything new, but one thing that we are working on, and I think we're making progress, but it's a continuous thing, is, you know, I'm part of the, the History Archive Committee, and we're, we're going through um, all the way back and finding old policies, and it, I think there's some that don't apply anymore, but there's still some that do, and getting them all into place. So I think that's one thing is that we're finding out the old ones and finding out if they still um, are update or if they are out of date, then maybe we need to work on updating those policies. If they still apply to ACB and the mission that we are looking at or working on, um, but making everything um, more accessible because it has been interesting. Some of the policies that you come by and you, and you find, um, it's like, oh yeah, that's, we're working on that now, but you know, you didn't really think about it or hear about it. And that's some of the resolutions also. Um, but that's, that's, I think the communication, the transparency, I think that's just something that we continue to do. I don't see that as a, you know, something new, it's something that we've been working on, but I think we need to continue to work on. Um, but right offhand, I think it's just the the main advocacy. I think a lot of it's the medical, you know, things that we're working on now, like the medical equipment, um, you know, the insulin. That's you know, it's sad that that didn't get approved. But I think if we keep our efforts, I think going forward, I think we can make progress. Jeff, I think that one of the things we need to well. I think that we have to put a lot more effort into our advocacy for older adults with vision loss. And obviously, you know, this is the 
immediate past president of the Alliance on Energy and Vision Loss talking, so you're going to hear that. But we are, as an organization and as a group of people with disabilities, in my opinion, we are so far behind other groups when it comes to services for our population. Um, there's a lot of reasons. Part of it is we've had to spend so much time getting even a crumb for our specialized services that we have sort of not participated in sufficient uh, cross-disability advocacy uh, or, or even advocacy on our own, but with you know other more mainstream programs. And that, that is sort of across the board in, in throughout the country. There are a few states that have done a better job than others, but, you know, nationally and um, around the country, we have a long way to go in um, achieving any kind of parity with respect to service availability um, for our population, for our older population, especially. And I think we need to, um, and we've, uh, we've done some work on this, both um, as part of the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition and a little bit within ACB. Um, we need to do far more with respect to teaching other folks to be advocates. Um, you know, people need to know about Older Americans Act programs. People need to know about, you know, how they can, how we can, you know, tap into Medicaid money as hard as it is and as, as difficult of a program to understand as it is, we don't have the advocates that people in other disability groups do for the most part. And so I think that that's an area that we absolutely have to focus on. And I think we have been focusing on it much more lately. We have taken a leadership position um, within the Vision Serve Alliance uh, and the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition. Um, they now know who we are. Uh, they know what we stand for. We, and, and so I think we are making strides. It's you know, becoming a bigger priority for the organization. And, uh, but but we, we can't stop now because we are so far behind uh, other groups. The other thing I'd like to see us do, it's not necessarily advocacy, it goes along with um, our uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion area, is um, along with reaching out to communities of color um, with, for people with vision loss, which we have begun to do and we have a long way to go, we also, I think, need to do a much better job of reaching out to those people with vision loss that have developmental disabilities and advocating for their needs um, you know, making sure they have O&M rather than travel training, for example, um, which is insufficient uh, to meet their uh, needs in terms of learning how to travel. Um, there's a lot of things that we need to help that community, you know, um, obtain in terms of services. And I think the community has helped because it's brought people from that community into our organization, but not enough. So... Yeah. Sorry right. for the lengthy dissertation. No, no worries. You're good. I enjoying enjoying that. Yeah, it's like we hear the statistic of like 
diabetes being the leading cause of blindness for for working adults or like the the statistic that um older adults are more are more a high, are a high risk for vision loss um yeah it definitely like yeah it's interesting interesting point Jeff that we need to really just ramp up our advocacy for older adults and also the intersectionality of blindness with other disabilities um yeah i think it's it's yeah it's really quite interesting to hear about yeah and i agree i mean i'm sorry spata but yeah go ahead go ahead go ahead ahead. i'm just saying to say it's really you know because you don't i you think about it but you don't you you know it's like the the seems like the older adults do get kind of passed over a lot of times or they don't understand a lot of people don't know what's all available. So yeah, I think that's really important. And one of the other areas that I had just a conversation with the other day with some um, with Cheryl Cummings and um, Tom Tobin is um, the Indigenous, the Native Americans and getting more involved and seeing what else we can do with, you know, that culture. So it's, there's so many things that we need to work on and improve and help. Yeah, we need to be um, somehow approaching all the, I mean, you know, the, the Native Americans have their own health and social services system throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And we need yeah. to be approaching that system uh, and, and, you know, putting us on their radar and, and, and you know, provide and, you know, creating collaborations with folks in that system. Right. We don't and even know what, how many are out there. We don't even know how severe the, the diabetic retinopathy population is among, you know, Native Americans. And, and we need to learn more about that. You know, yeah. they're at, and, that, and they actually have the highest, you know, per capita for um, blindness, more mm-hmm. than um, the African-Americans. So, and, you know, and that's something in conversation that, you know, Cheryl and I had is I have some contacts um, here in South Dakota um, and one is I think nationally known so it you know that's what we want to work on that's one thing I want to work on with her with the Millsboro Cultural and seeing what we can do to try to reach more people yeah that's great yeah, like you often you often forget that they've, that the indigenous people have um, their own health care and have their own system for gov- government so mm-hmm. yeah but I I do appreciate I do, I do appreciate the DEI and all that because I'm very much like passionate about that issue as well. So yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate a lot of it. Um, yeah. So going back to um, just kind of convention, um, what are some highlights highlights for you all? Like what you, for you, Jeff? You can start the convention. My impressions of convention. Impressions, impressions, highlights. Anything you want to share about, like positives, that? So, so I, you know, clearly people who attended virtually, I think, had a better time than they could possibly have expected. Um, most of them would have probably never had attended before, and you know, we really, I think went out of our way successfully, you know, for the most part, there's always glitches, but successfully to make sure that virtual attendees received a really outstanding convention experience. 
Um, I think we need, however, to do a little, and I think in part we, we did go out of our way to such a great degree to assist virtual attendees that we perhaps fell a little short in terms of the experience for, you know, in-person attendees. We're going to have to do something at both the national level and the state level um, for state conventions to incentivize attendance in person. Otherwise, we'll have problems in, in making the uh, in meeting the financial goals we need to meet for conventions, and more importantly, even in, in being able to have a viable convention where people will attend and get that in-person experience, which you know really promotes um, long-standing members and, and hard-working members. There's just something about meeting in person you can't have. So we have to. I won't without going into details and. This has came up last night in our leadership training meeting. We are going to have to really think hard about how we're going to, you know, m you know, make it more, uh, provide more incentives, more uh, uh, reasons for people to attend in person throughout the, the country. Yep. Connie, how about you? You know, I, I agree. I think, you know, the, the virtual, I know even a lot of people who were there in person actually did stuff virtually. Um, so yeah, I think we really need to focus, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. Um, <clears throat> what we can do to get more people in person. I mean, I think we did great. We got people there. Um, it was fun. It was great to be able to be in person again, but we have to make sure, like just so the financial part of it, what can we do to encourage our members to attend in person, not just virtually? Because um, some people, you know, I, I had a member who said one of the reasons she wanted to go in person was to meet people that she had met through community. Um, and, and I think that's great because that shows that we are really meeting people. People really wanted to see and meet each other face to face. So we just need to make sure that we can get the programming um, available in person. I mean, it's available in person, but how can we get people motivated to attend it in person, um, not just virtually, get in, and experience that in-person feel? Um, so yeah, I think I, otherwise, I mean, I think it was a good convention. It was got long. Um, I think I've you know I've heard that from a lot of people. I think a lot of people had fun. Um, Overall, I know one of the things that I participated in was um, being on the Get Up and Get Moving committee was the, the Bob Curry pedestrian bridge. Um, and I, I heard from so many people, we had 80 people participate, and I heard so many people say that was one of the best things that they've done, one of the best tours. They just really enjoy themselves. You know, and it wasn't anything that... It was just a walk. It was a walk over the river um, from Iowa, and you stood on Iowa, from Nebraska to Iowa's line. But people, it was something that you could do together or you did separately, and it was fun. It was outdoor. But I heard more people just enjoy doing something like that. So I it think it was my, the highlight for me of the entire convention. I, yeah, I, I, 
I, I would have to say that was mine too, you know, and dance so that he heard so many people. It was just, it was just wonderful. And I got to so, ride the bus back with Swatha. There you go. <laughs> I, I won't tell you the story about the, the committee getting over there early. So we, uh, we all crowded into an Uber that wasn't really big enough for all of us, but the driver was nice enough to uh, let us cuddle really close <laughs> together <laughs> and get over there early. So. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I get to like highlight for me, 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 me both. So yeah, I love yeah. getting me getting annoying with you and like me jump person. So yeah, it was fun. Um, and just just a plug for all of our listeners: fill fill out the post convention post convention survey closes soon. So just fill out and get get a chance to leave your leave your thoughts and tell us how you did. So yeah. Yes, your input is going to be so important this year. The next few years, really, we're going to be changing. I don't know how we're going to be changing, but we are. And your input is, is what should drive the changes that we make. I so agree. I totally know. agree. Yep. Totally. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, so we kind of we, we touched on your what's important to you personally, advocacy, but... um. What do, what if you like what advocacy issues or advocacy work have we done within your community or within your affiliate? And Connie, go first. I heard you had a story for uh, for us. So, um, you know, I, I, advocacy in the local area has always been big for me, and um, you know, so transportation, um, and voting for South Dakota, and pedestrian work, and so I I will have to tell you the story that I did it'll be two weeks ago. Um, so I'm on pedestrian advisory committee um, for South Sioux Falls, so the local city. And last fall, I, I challenge, um, so there's city planners on there, there's city engineers, there's other community members, and I challenged them to go walking with me and seeing what our sidewalks and our intersections are like because there's no rhyme or reason a lot of times the way they do the intersections. Um, there may not be a sidewalk. Um, so, I mean, we had a friend that walked, fell into a manhole one day because it wasn't properly covered. So this, the city planner who is ahead of the pedestrian area actually did go walking with me. And I had a blindfold, I taught him a little bit of the white cane ahead of time. I guided him part of the time and part of the time I had him walk by himself. And we walked probably, you know, it was about a mile and a half, not quite a mile and a half, one direction. And then I brought him home. We left from my house and we came home part of the way, one way. And then we, I turned and I came home at, on a different street in a different area. But he was shocked. I he was just amazed. Um, I didn't let him get hurt, but I let him <laughs> walk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I, I I let him walk into a branch, you know, and it's like there you go. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, that's different because he's a big runner and a biker. Um, and I said, it's different. I said, my husband wears a hat all the time. He's like, Yeah, I can see that now. I can understand why. <laughs> um, he, 
we hit, we were dry, walking and there was a lot of driveways in this one street and it was um Korean. He got disorientated and he got close to the road and it's a, a major road. And I stopped him right before he got into the road because there was a car coming and I said, you know, you're going to go right into that road. I said, you have to find your way back to the sidewalk. He was on the approach and I, he found his way back and we walked a little bit further and then he got lost in a driveway. And okay. I, I would, I would tend to say, well, you need to come this way or you need to go that way. He um, got all the way up to the steps. It was a double driveway and part of the driveway was going downhill and part of it was going uphill and there was <laughs> grass and weeds in the driveway, you know? So it was kind of confusing, but he finally found his way. Um, so he was just amazed. And then, um, we got to one of the intersections and there was the um, domes and one dome. So there was a, it's a four way and one was going parallel across. The other ones were all going out into the middle of the intersection. Um, so there was no rhyme or reason how they put their stuff in. I, I went to a T intersection and there was no way to get across properly from one side to the other because there was no like sidewalk you had to go out into the one street to go over to the other street um all these light poles were in the way they were doing construction and all this erosion was all over the sidewalk um and then i got to the aps's and on our second busiest street in this in the state and he was willing to cross as long as i was guiding him but i made him find the aps's and none of the aps's are identical these placed um and they were far away and he was standing way back and i said well you haven't found the curb yet i said you have to figure out where the curb is and he's like but i'm scared i'm like yeah but i'm not gonna let you know nothing happened to you and he he found this curb but he was just he was scared he was like everything was like right there and we got across the street and the, the sidewalk was blocked off they were all along this whole street, there was a sign saying, you need to walk on the other side of the street for the sidewalk because there was no sidewalk and there was nothing there for the pedestrians. Um, and then we've had like two tornadoes um, recently and there was trees uprooted. And he's like, oh my God. So all these tree roots and all the sidewalks were heaved. And I, I didn't let him fall, I didn't let him trip. <laughs> But I stopped him and he was just amazed. He said he couldn't believe. And I, like I said, I think it was like 15 things just on the way. And that's not even counting on the way back of all the things that he ran across that needed to be corrected or fixed. And so the next morning he said he went to work and he started reading the engineering guidelines and he said he totally started reading them at a different perspective and he is really pushing for the engineers and other people now to come do it and looking for some changes so you know it's, it's just that that little bit yeah so that's awesome so we have two bills all well we have three really but i'll talk about two that i think are interesting and important in california uh both of which all of three of which I think are going to make it to the governor and we'll see what the governor does with them in September. But one bill would establish mental health programs um, under our Medicaid program for people with vision loss. 
um, because I, I think that I know what people, most people want who with people who are blind or have low vision, they want people that understand the situation that they're in. And, you know, to understand it, you, you usually have to have vision loss. It's, it's only a rare few uh, among practitioners, mental health practitioners that understand it who aren't, you know, blind or low vision themselves. So, you know, the support groups and, and using, you know, practitioners with vision loss are really important. So we're going to see how that works out if we get it. And the other one, um, we hope to be the first state in the country, along with the city of Cincinnati, um, to require the companies that rent these electronic scooters that people fall over all the time to um, require as a part of the rental that the scooter user have insurance that would cover pedestrian accidents if there's negligence on the part of the scooter user, like they leave it in the middle of the sidewalk or they are they don't watch where they're going and they run into a pedestrian or whatever, you know, and all these things happen. We, we, we know many incidents where they do happen. And so it's, it's been a tough slog. The bicycle coalition is opposing us and the scooter industry doesn't want it, but we've worked hard last couple of years and we're hoping we don't know what the government will do with it, but um, if we get it, it'll be the first of its kind in the nation. And, you know, in California, we, I've had a long history of being proud to be an innovator. And in recent years, we haven't been such an innovator, but this will be something that I think we can be proud of if we get it. So we'll see. Those are, those are awesome. Way to go. Yeah. You hear a lot about a scooters like being a, being in the middle of a sidewalking gang and can't get, get, get past them or get over them. Like this, this is yeah, this really a really cool bill to, to, to see past. Yep. Just, in, just for me, like for me, like I, I know how hard it is to get, get around the food or a bike in the middle of the sidewalk. So, um, yeah. Um, so kind of moving on, to, like, um, so what do you, like, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to get more involved in advocacy issues or advocacy in general in the, in the community in the ACB? So, you know, there's a number of ways to do it. Uh, but I think what's most important is that you learn the issues that you're interested in. If you're interested in getting accessible pedestrian signals installed in your area, learn what the rules are in your city. Um, learn how you can seek um, they ask the city to go after federal money because there is money out there to do it. Um, talk to people who have had a history in advocating for it. Um, if you want services at the state level, um, talk to people who ha have advocated before the legislature um, or, or whatever state departments um, are involved in the particular program you're talking about, you know, you have to seek these things out. Sometimes you, you know, you Google it uh, to find who's involved. Sometimes you, you know, talk to people in your local ACB chapter. Other times you reach out to people in other disability groups. There's all sorts of ways to get at it, but you have to be creative. Within ACB, 
um, you know, there are sometimes community calls that can educate you that either the advocacy committee or other committees uh, are doing. Um, I really, uh, I'll tell you the way I became as well-versed in our advocacy issues is by being part of the resolutions committee. And nowadays you don't have to be a part of the resolutions committee because, um, you know, it used to be that all the meetings were, you know, from eight in the evening till two in the morning at convention. But now, you know, most of the work is all happening before convention starts. And these calls are open to all members and everybody can have input as well as listening. So you will learn so much by attending the resolutions committee community calls about all sorts of advocacy issues, you know, whether it's web access or services for older adults or, you know, a special education or whatever, you know, you can think of, or, or let's, this year, for example, we had one on the, on, on the, we had things on um, the Amazon disability, customer disability support line. And we had one on, you know, swimming pools and, all sorts of issues that you would never think about ordinarily. So, you know, I, I urge people to become involved um, in, in that committee's, uh, you know, in that committee's calls and, you know, the proceedings. And if you have something to say, definitely say it. And if you want to become involved in a committee, that is, you know, education or housing, where there's going to be a, something in the housing area because we just passed a resolution to do it, um, or mental health or whatever, all sorts of areas of advocacy. Um, get some expertise and then go for it. You know, don't be afraid to be on a committee, but if that's where your passion lies. Definitely. It's my first time this year on the Resolution Committee, and I don't know different learned about issues I didn't think about before. So yeah, it's great we really learn about we learn about issues that are important to you that that you think think were important to you, which you found that they are. So yeah. Connie, you want to jump in? Yeah. You know, so I guess on the, the local level, you know, I, I look at, you know, you really need to start advocating on the local level to start with, you know, like Jeff said, I go with what your passion is or what needs to get done. What's your interest? And, you know, in every state, every area city is different, you know, with, for me, you know, I've always been um, passionate. So I've always been involved with the city stuff. I gotten to know the city people here in Sioux Falls. Um, I've gotten on board. So that's, you know, again, working with other um, disability groups, other individuals, you, you want to work with the local, and then you want to go with the state, um, and then federal, you know, but I think there's always education, there's always people there to help and educate, and like he said, Google, you know, if you have questions of who to contact, or someone's going to be able to help you, you just have to keep checking, um, but yeah, it's, it's advocacy, especially in the local level, is, is so important, and I know a lot of people you know, are afraid of it or don't know how to do it. And it's just a matter of learning or having someone help you get started and anyone can do it. 
I know some people now who used to be scared to even go up to the hill that love going up to the hill now when we go up to the hill. So it, it's, it can get into your blood and you can live for it as Jeff knows, you know, he's lived it for years. Um, you know, I, in this ACB, how to get involved is, you know, I agree with Jeff is the community calls, the resolutions, you know, resolutions aren't for me. I I've do them, but you know, we've joked about it before, but um, you know, JP Morgan Chase fellow, you know, apply for that. And that's a good learning experience. Um, a good way because you have requirements and you have mentors. We have the new mentoring program starting. So apply for that to be a mentor or a mentee. Um, we have the leadership programs. So there's so many assets or, that are available that you can get the help and get the training. And, and if you want to be on the committee, you know, research it, learn what your passion is, like Jeff said, and, and ask about getting onto a committee getting involved and that's how you want to be a leader if, if that's what you want or if you just want to be part and learn more things you just you need to ask and you need to research and just keep that open mind of what can I do how how can I do it yeah that's very important to ask and just be open open to anything or be curious about anything um since you mentioned jp morgan chase and being a leader in acb um last question for you all um what advice would you do you have for anyone who wants to become a leader or be more be, get, get get involved in acb at leadership level and jeff you want to go uh yeah okay um, I think it's, uh, again, I'll echo what Connie said for her last answer. I think getting involved at the local chapter level or um, is really one of the best ways to get involved, to get your feet wet, whether it's, you know, a chair of a committee or, you know, being maybe a board member you know, or, or some office, maybe you want to be secretary or whatever, you know, wade into it, um, learn the ropes, learn how the organization works at that level, learn the issues that um, other people are interested in, um, and then work your way up, um, you know, because I think it's a little easier to get involved locally and then you know, work your way onto the state and national level. Um, you know, give yourself a chance to fail because, you know, we all fail and that's part of learning. Um, and it's a little easier to learn the lessons locally uh, and move on up than it gets a little daunting. Um, but if you've succeeded first, you know, in your local chapter, you'll have a lot more tools in your toolkit to succeed at higher levels in the organization. So I, I, that's what I, the advice I would give. Great. Connie, want to add anything else? You know, not necessarily. I, I agree with Jeff. I mean, I think that, you know, you have to start on the local level to, um, I think, try to build your skills. Because again, I think everyone has the skills and the abilities to be a leader. You know, some maybe not as much of a leader, but there, and some maybe are. But we all have the skills and abilities to do things. So, just getting involved on the local level 
Um, if it's a local chapter, you know, some affiliates don't have it really a local chapter. Most do, but you know, get on, involved on the state level at least and, and learn and learn the ropes, go for different positions and then keep going forward. Um, get involved in other, you know, boards, other committees that, um, gives you the experience to be a leader, to learn how things are done, and then just continue. I mean, there's so much in ACB that has the other things that I mentioned before that can help you be a leader. Yeah, yeah get involved with your transit district or your city or your, you yeah. know, your, your area agency on aging advisory council. There are so many uh, ways in which you can enter the advocacy and leadership arena um it, it, you know let me count the ways is that poem and in this case <laughs> yes. that's very accurate yep very true that's awesome well jeff tom and connie sims thank you for being here today it's been great getting to talk to you and to know you a little more um as always, you can get in touch with uh, with Clark and me at ACB by emailing advocacy at acb.org or by calling us at 202-467-5081. And just like Jeff and Connie are doing, keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.